Thank you, Kirk, and the worship team. What great musical selections this morning. I just love that song. Is he worthy? Yes, he is worthy. And the other songs this morning that we are anchored in Jesus Christ, and he is sovereign over all things. Behold our God, how good, how good is he, how he loves us, how he reigns in justice. Well, good morning. My name is Kurt Weaver, and I am the director of the Church Ambassador Network for Pennsylvania Family Institute. If you're not familiar with our organization, we're based up in Harrisburg, and um, our our organization stands on the front lines for all of you, for the Christian community all around Pennsylvania. And so uh, we do this on a number of different fronts. One, we have a, uh, a wonderful lobbying team and policy team. We work with legislators uh, to try to help them make good and righteous decisions uh, for Pennsylvanians. Uh, we also have a law team, and uh, so we help Christians all around the state um, in regards to uh, standing for religious liberty, uh, especially in the, the court systems. And then we do a lot of other things too, like advocacy work and, and educational type of things. And uh, I'm sure you get some of our emails from time to time, if you will, on policy and other things that are happening in our world. But we really feel like we are your eyes and ears at the Capitol. Someone needs to pay attention to what's happening in government. Someone needs to pay attention to what's happening in society. And so uh, we... we uh, we are grateful that um, we've been given that role and task to complete there in Harrisburg. Also, I used to be one of the pastors at Crossway Church, just down the road. And so uh, our church and your church, uh, we just feel a, a wonderful uh, synergy and uh, gospel heart uh, between our churches. And so we're very grateful. I've known your pastors for many years, and uh, I really respect them and um, uh, and you guys are in wonderful hands here uh, with your pastoral team. In fact, I've known Scott since he was a wee little lad. A wee little lad. Um, in fact, when, when he was born, he had a beard. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's a little strange. <laughs> but he's always had a beard. It wasn't as gray back then. Now it is. Um, but uh, my lovely wife, Renee, is here. And my, my one son, Weston, is here. Uh, we have eight lovely children. Uh, and so, we're, yes, we're not in competition with Scott and his wife. But, um, but uh, kids are a blessing uh, and troublemakers. But a blessing from the Lord. Uh, well, if you can open up your Bibles to John 15, um, we're going to start there, but we're going to be navigating all over scripture, scripture this morning as we dive into the topic called Engaging a Hostile World. I'm sure you feel the hostile world. Let's pray before we start. Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing that you truly do reign over all things, you are on the throne. Nothing happens in this world that you don't know about. And Lord, we thank you that not only do you reign, but Lord, that you have sent your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be justified, so that we might be found righteous. For yes, your anger would burn against us. Lord, we know that the, the nations rage in this world. Governments are against you. Oh, but we know that we are of you. You have chosen us out of this dark world and transferred us into the kingdom of light. And for that, we are so grateful. But this morning, Lord, as we dive into a serious topic, we know that we live in a fallen world. And we know that the world is raging not, not just against you, but against us as well, because we are of you. Lord, I pray that this morning you will stir our hearts, our hearts in, in, in greater affection for you and your truth, and that you will give us courage to stand in this world that's becoming increasingly dark. Lord, thank you so much for this church and what a beacon of light they are in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. On February 12, 2015, ISIS marched 21 Egyptian Christians onto a beach in Libya dressed in orange jumpsuits. 
There on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, usually a place of beauty, an evil act transformed that tranquil environment into a gruesome image of evil. Twenty-one men were executed for their belief in Jesus Christ. The gruesome act by ISIS was captured on video with this message from them. We are sending a message by chopping off the heads of those carrying the cross delusion for a long time. We are breaking the cross, killing the swine. On Sunday, November 5th, 2017, a gunman in all black with military tactical gear on and weaponry walked into a small Baptist church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, and killed 26 people, aging from 5 to 72. The motive for the attack is unclear, but the grisly nature of it could not have been clearer. Families gathered in pews, clutching their Bibles and praying to the Lord, were murdered in cold blood on the spot. In April of 2017, a couple of pro-life students, 16 and 19, were cursed at, screamed at, belittled and harassed outside of their high school in Downingtown by their assistant principal for just trying to expose the horror of abortion. Those students faced great hostility for their faith, but they stood strong and communicated nonetheless with grace and love. In the fall of 2019, a Bible club at Mechanicsburg High School was told by their principal that they could not hand out Bibles at a club fair for students who were interested. The Bible club students had used even their own money to buy Bibles to hand them out to other interested students. However, other clubs were allowed to hand out informational materials, including the school's LGBT club. Unfortunately... This principle made life very difficult for the Bible club and denied requests time and time again, being very hostile to these kids and their little Bible club. In fact, they weren't even allowed to have a poster to promote CU at the pole that had a biblical reference on it. They faced hostility as well. In 2019, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, during a foster care crisis, shut down Catholic Charities, a foster care and adoption agency, for not being willing to place children in same-sex homes. Catholic Charities said that doing so would go against their doctrinal and biblical beliefs. And after a long court battle, praise God, just a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court ruled in their favor. I'm sure you remember this, the Fulton versus Philadelphia case. Just in 2020, a pediatric doctor in Reading, PA, was removed from his practice for not being willing, due to his religious beliefs, to advise or administer gender transitions to underage patients. Last week even, we at Pennsylvania Family Institute were informed by our database company that they were going to cancel us because of our stance on marriage and gender, deeming us a hate group. You see, the list goes on and on. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of these stories even. And there's many stories that I could tell this morning that you're probably aware of. And most of these hostilities that Christians face in this world aren't even documented or even covered in the news. But throughout church history, they have been felt by all of us. As your heart break for those Egyptian Christians, those 21 men. As your heart break for those Christians in that little Baptist church in Texas. 
Does your heart break when you see Christian students being harassed for their faith? And we too face the same type of hostility in this world. So why so much hostility in this world? Is this a new thing that we're facing? And the answer is no. It's not new, and we shouldn't be surprised that Christians are facing hostility in this world. In fact, the early church and throughout church history, and even now, as I mentioned, around the world, face hostility for their faith. But Jesus told us this in John 15. If the world hates you, take heart, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world... I have chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Scripture goes on, Luke 21. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Luke 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Mark 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And 1 John 3. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't these verses just make you all warm and fuzzy inside? <laughs> wow, these are heavy verses, are they not? Hate, 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 hostility, hostility, hostility. From where? The world. You see, it's hard. It's challenging. It's difficult to be treated unkindly. Or even hate it. I feel it. I don't even like it when someone dislikes me. Right? I don't like that. I want to be friends with everyone. But in this world, as we just read, the world will hate us. And sometimes it paralyzes us. It even makes us question our own convictions. And sometimes it makes our blood boil internally. Although... It's unnerving to be hated by the world. It's comforting to know that the world is treating us like our Savior. You see, when we face hostility, it should be comforting to us to know that we are on the right side. We are on God's side. We are of Christ Jesus, no longer in this world, bound to this world, bound to the ideology of this world. We have been rescued out of this world, transformed by the Holy Spirit, forgiven and made righteous and made Christ's own. We are his people, his children. And so, yes, we are on the right side. However, there's a warning in the passage here in John 15, which says this, if the world does love you, what does that mean? You're of it. You're of it. You've not been chosen. You've not been pulled out. I think this warning passage is for us as believers. Even though we have been chosen, we have been called out from this world, we have to take this passage seriously to do our own personal check. Does the world love us? Do we love the world? Do we want the world to love us? We have to be careful. It could mean that we are of this world and not of Christ and aligning ourselves with the ideology of this fallen world. You see, if this world is giving us more high fives than sneers, we might want to take a second look at our lives. 
But as believers, how do we continue to deal with the hostility and hatred that we find in this world? Because we have some temptations. A couple things. One, we can either respond in anger or we can run and hide and neither are appropriate. The Bible gives us certain guide rails for us, guidelines for us in life. And those are truth and love, which are both wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we lose one for the other, we veer off the road into a deep ravine of great error. And it does not honor the Lord, and it will not show love to our neighbor. So Ephesians 4 is really our map. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be in Christ? It means to carry both truth and love as we think about our world, as we speak into this world. And so today we just have simply three points from this. One, we're called to speak the truth. Two, we're called to walk in love. And three, we're called to engage with courage. A number of years ago, Zondervan, one of the largest Bible distributors in the world, decided that they, they had a new translation, that they wanted to hit the younger generation. And so they went to Rolling Stone magazine because they wanted to hit a secular audience. And so they placed an ad or proposed an ad to Zondervan, and this is what the ad said. It said, timeless truth Today's language. And Rolling Stone said, no way. We cannot run that ad. They said, that ad is offensive. What? Pretty simple slogan. He said it was too spiritual. Didn't mention God. Timeless truth. Today's language. And they said, it's unacceptable. We're not going to run it. So what was the deal? Why did Rolling Stone not want to run this ad? It's because of the word truth. Truth. So here's a question. What is truth? What is it? Well, the dictionary defines truth as this, something that is undeniably certain. Undeniably certain. And so Rolling Stone said there is no way that we can place this in our magazine because what you're saying is the scriptures, the Bible is undeniably certain. This is normative truth. And we don't buy into that. And we don't want our readers to think that we buy into that. Some say there is no normative truth. That truth is just subjective. Or that truth is relative. But even those statements are said with certainty, aren't they? So where does truth come from? Does it come from the world, which is ever-changing? That doesn't seem very certain, does it? Does it come from what we believe inside our own minds? Well, that changes daily too, right? That's uncertain. We can't count on that. You turn on the news. Things change constantly. One news source reports this. Another news source reports that. There's no certainty there. Where do we find certain truth? Undeniably certain truth. It is found only in the word of God. John 14, 6 says this. In fact, Jesus is speaking to Thomas. And he says this, you know this well. I, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a powerful statement that I cannot unpack the entirety of. This morning, but I would say this I am the truth. So, what is truth? Truth is a person, truth 
is Christ Jesus. Truth is bound up in the Trinity, Christ being the second person. That is where truth comes from. It is Christ. It is his word. It is who he is. It's his essence. He is truth. Undeniably certain truth. It's concrete. No one else can claim that they are truth but Jesus. All objective truth belongs to God and God alone. John MacArthur makes this statement. He says, authentic, this is great, authentic Christianity, authentic Christianity has always held that the scripture is absolute, objective truth. It is true for one person as it is for another, regardless of anyone's opinion about it. It has one true meaning that applies to everyone. It is God's word to humanity. It is true meaning, and its true meaning is determined by God. It is not something that can be shaped to fit the preferences of individual hearers. So we find God's truth, what's given to us right here in written form. Writings, dear friends, writings that have been passed down from the ages, carefully translated language to language, handled with the utmost care. And many times, men and women giving up their very lives for the protection of the Word of God. Consider William Tyndale, for example, who was burned at the stake because he wanted to get the Holy Scriptures into the hands of everyday people like you and me. Consider his sacrifice for a moment that we today hold the words of God that we can read and search and pour into our lives. A man like William Tyndale dying so that we can have God's word in our vernacular and access to the truth of God. 2 Timothy 3, you know these verses well. All scripture, all scripture, first pays to last. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's word equips us. It transforms us. It trains us in righteousness. So what is righteousness? We go here to find out what righteousness is. Our society, unfortunately, has lost its way in what righteousness really is. Back in 2017, a Gallup poll showed that only 24% of Americans believe the Bible was the very words of God. Actually, first when I read that, I thought, huh, that's not 24%. Like, that's surprising when you look at the world, right? You're like, wow, I thought it'd be a lot less than that. And, and, and it might be, maybe some people give a head nod to God's word, right? And say, yeah, yeah, I think it's God's word, but it's another thing to live it out. But this current generation, the Gen Zers, is even lower. Only 15% of Gen Zers believe that the Bible is the very words of God. But drastically, 25% of our culture actually believes the entire opposite. They believe that the Bible is harmful and hateful, and bad for society. Consequently, and you see the chart on it, it's kind of hard to read, but I'll tell you this sad statistic. Currently, Gen Zers, the youngest generation currently, 17% of Gen Zers identify with the LGBTQ lifestyle higher than any other generation. Do you think we've lost our moral code in this world? Do you think 
righteousness is being redefined or unrighteousness redefined. You look around our culture and you see that sexual ethics has basically gone out the window. And I would say this, our world has now set up their own dogma. They have their own system of thinking. They have their own religion, if you will. And if you don't agree with that religion or their dogma, then you will be punished for it. Called names for it. But what happens when we lose our grasp on truth? This is what happens. We see society that kicks biblical truth and morality to the curb. In fact, I'm sure you're like me. This past month, I've never seen so many rainbows and love is love slogans around. You saw it everywhere. On TV, on the internet, in stores, billboards, sporting events, social media posts. And folks, I would say this. The most discouraging was so-called churches and believers supporting what the Bible calls immorality. You see, as believers, we are called to love people. But loving people does not mean we support immoral lifestyles, nor can we celebrate sin and unrighteousness in this world. I would offer this. Please hear me. I would offer this. I don't say this lightly. Christians cannot celebrate Pride Month. We cannot. Listen, we, we can celebrate humanity. We can celebrate that we've been created in the image of God. We can celebrate people, men and women who are breathing the very breath that has been given by God. We know the Imago Dei. We know that we have been created in the image of God. We can celebrate that. We can celebrate humanity. But listen, dear friends, we cannot celebrate the sin that corrupts us. We cannot celebrate the sin that dwells within. We love people. We can't celebrate what the Bible calls as immorality. Currently, there's legislation sitting in our nation's capital and even here in PA, at our state capital, called the Equality Act. This legislation would add gender identity and sexual orientation into our non-discrimination laws. And, and at first, this seems really good, right? We think, hey, you know, we want to have equity for all people. We want to, none of us want to discriminate against people. And so you look at this and you think, okay, this is good. Maybe we should include these sorts of things and these sorts of activities into our non-discrimination laws like the Equality Act. However, you just dig a little deep and you soon find out that these types of laws would actually severely hurt us as believers hurt our institutions, hurt our churches, and severely harm religious liberty in this country. Just think about this. Christian nonprofits, Christian schools, Christian colleges, churches, Christian camps, wedding vendors, the list goes on and on and on. They would no longer be able to hold to their biblical mission, their biblical belief in biblical ethics, marriage, and sexuality. Forced to comply with their world's ideology on sexuality. It would cause great harm in our world. We must stand against it. We must make our voices heard that this is not acceptable. It would harm. It would hamper. Listen, the gospel will still go forth in whatever environment, but it would hamper the ability to carry out our mission in this world. And we still do have a voice as God's people. I mean, isn't it kind of God? I mean, 
You think about church history. We actually live in a republic, a democracy. I mean, we, we actually have a voice on what happens. And we need to make our voices heard for righteousness' sake. 2 Peter 2 makes this a little bit clearer, and I want you to hear this. It's, it's very fascinating how, how, how Peter writes this. He says, And many will follow their sensuality. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, those who do follow their sensuality, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. I remember seeing this verse a number of years ago and being like, whoa, that, that is really good. <laughs> I mean, it's true, isn't it? Those who follow their sensuality, those who are giving themselves to a secular ideology of sensuality, sexuality, all things go, and not a biblical ethics, guess what's going to happen? It's going to distort the truth and blaspheme God. These things are happening, unfortunately, in the church and certainly in our society. And so we need God's word to lead us and guide us and be our authoritative rule. The scripture is to govern us. We need to conform our ways and thoughts and ideology to scripture, not the other way around. Human skill and reason must never be our normative guide. Although I would say this, Christianity is most reasonable. It really is. But we must always and constantly ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about a particular matter? Is this how we approach Scripture? Does God's Word have the final authority in our lives? Do we seek it with eagerness? Do we examine what truth is? And so how about these questions? Is it right to abort an unborn child? Is it right to change your gender? Is it okay to get unbiblically divorced? Is it right to have sex outside of marriage? Is a homosexual lifestyle okay? Is same-sex marriage acceptable? The world's ideology says yes. God's word says, no. We're not of this world, remember? We're of Christ. We're in Christ. We are his. Our, our ideology, our, our mindset, our, our ethics, everything changes. God changes us. Yes, God saves us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he does so, we are transformed. Everything about us is different than this world. That's why the law, the world will not love us. They will hate us because they hate Christ. D.A. Carson makes this great statement. He says, in our day, deception becomes all the easier to arrange because so many Christians are no longer greatly shaped by Scripture. Satan, the father of lies, the great deceptor coming into churches, coming into evangelicalism and spurring his lies. And why is it easy to do? Because Christians no longer know what's in these pages. We need to become biblically literate I know this church is. I know all of you are. You've been well served by your pastors. Sadly, though, in society and other places, you see evangelicalism going off the tracks because they no longer view this as their authority. But we face it on a daily level, don't we? What happens when someone or something Challenges our beliefs. <laughs> I think so many times we do things or believe things that just simply aren't biblical because we aren't thinking biblically about things, but instead have bought into society's worldview and ideology, and we must be careful. 
But as we address the things in our world and as we face the hostility in our world, yes, we must stand firm on truth. But there's something else we have to do. We have to also walk in love. And that brings us to our second point, walk in love. When I was pastoring a number of years ago, uh, I would take our pastoral team and we would go do uh, street evangelism. We also called it awkward evangelism. If you've ever done street evangelism, you know that it's very awkward. And sometimes I would actually use that as an ice-breaking thing, like, hey, how you doing? I'm going to ask you some really awkward things, okay? You okay with that? And they're like, oh, I guess. Um, so, so there we were. I had uh, another pastor with me, and we were over at Park City, and you know, we're trying to find people to talk to. We came across these, these kids that were on their smoke break. They were working there, and, and they were outside. And so we walked up, and, and I simply said, Hi, I'm, I'm Kurt, and, and uh, we're doing a spiritual survey. Um, have you ever done those spiritual things, you know? Um, I said, Hey, can we ask you some questions to find out what you believe? And this guy looked at us, and he goes, Let me tell you something. Your kind don't like my kind. Whoa, okay. So I said, what does that mean? What do you mean by your kind? And he says, well, I'm gay. So you don't want to talk to me now, do you? And without skipping a beat, the other pastor that was with me said, oh, then we have something in common. And the guy <laughs> was jarred a little bit, and, and he says, what? And he goes, yeah, you know what? We're both sinners, and we both desperately need Christ to save us. It was in that moment that both truth and love were proclaimed from this other pastor, right? In that moment, we were saying, hey, it's not like you being gay is much worse than we are, right? We're, we're saying in that moment, we are both broken individuals. We're sinners. We're sinners. We need Christ to save us. And so in that moment, it changed the complete conversation. We had a great conversation after that. But we were able to communicate truth and love. The Bible talks about love constantly. In fact, currently in society, it's not hard for our world to say, oh, yeah, God is love. I mean, that, you hear that a lot, right? Um, you don't often hear about God is truth, <laughs> you, know, I, you know. But the Bible does give us our guidance when it comes to how we should walk in this world. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whew. That's a tough one, isn't it? We just talked about our enemies, right? The hostility in our world. Love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? Yes. Luke 6, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And then Luke 6, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. In this portion here, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Once were we, were we not? part of the ungrateful, part of the evil, hating God and not wanting anything to do with him. And yet in his love, he broke into our world and saved us. So what is love? <laughs> what is love? I'm not going to sing, but uh, I guess I just did. Sorry. Well, again, like truth, love is personified in a person, right? Jesus says, I am the truth. God says, I am love. In fact, over 132 passages, if you're wondering, it is clear in Scripture that God is love. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not Love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Therefore, God is love and God is truth. 
And we are called, as we read earlier, to speak truth with love. And both come from God. So let's think for a second, what happens if we separate truth and love, right? So let's say we take truth out of the equation. What happens? And we're just full of love for people. We just want to love people. just want to love on people. What does it do? Then it just becomes this mushy, fake love that will give people a false sense of God's love and justice. And furthermore, it's going to end up supporting or allowing unrighteousness to go unaddressed in our world and in people's lives, therefore not actually being loving. Do you understand that? Now, let's say we take love out of the equation and we just, truth. What happens? Well, truth then becomes a sledgehammer that destroys and hurts people. And we end up not caring about people. We end up only caring about behavior modification. Right? Just do it. Just act this way. Follow these rules. And that's not loving. And so we must, we must bring both together, both truth and love, not giving up on either one. I had a friend recently asked me some advice. It was a challenging scenario. His brother-in-law just got engaged to another man. And so he asked me, him and his wife being a believing couple, asked me, should they attend a same-sex wedding. You might agree or disagree with me on this, but I'll tell you what the counsel I gave. I offered this. I would meet with him and his partner, and I would take him out for dinner. I would ask them about their lives. I would encourage them in their vocations. I would even tell them that I love them and care about them. And I would share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. How Christ can transform and how desperate we are in need of a Savior and forgiveness. And then I would say this. We love you guys. But we also love Jesus Christ. And because we love Jesus Christ... We believe what Christ says about marriage. And we believe in biblical marriage. And we cannot celebrate anything that is not. And so we're not able to attend your wedding. But even though we're unable to attend your wedding, we will still love you very much. And we would love to continue to connect and have conversations. Now, hopefully you guys agree, <laughs> maybe some of you don't, that my advice was both full of truth and full of love. That's how we have to learn to navigate in this world. We don't tell people they're right. We have to tell people lovingly that we don't agree with them and that we can't celebrate immorality. Like, just like we can't celebrate our own sins that we have. We all have immorality in our lives, do we not? You know, we're all broken in some way, even on the sexual spectrum. We all are. But we don't want to celebrate it. We can't endorse it. And going to a wedding, you're celebrating. You're saying, hey, I am, I am here. I am, I am for this. And I would say as believers, we just, we, we can't do that. In fact, what is a wedding? A wedding is this. It is, it is not only just be, between the couple and God and the minister who's, officiating, but there's a sense of, you know, if you think about the cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in life, it is like that at a wedding. You are there cheering them on, supporting them, saying, we are okay with, us, with this. That's why you go to a wedding. That's why you get invited, not just because you're a cousin or whatever. I mean, they want people there to celebrate it, and we can't do that if we're believers, I feel. And so hopefully the advice was full of truth and love. But I must say this, even though we speak truth with love, it doesn't mean that we won't still be hated for what we believe or stand for, right? 
because we read those verses earlier, the world will still hate us. Now, yes, we need to be gracious, we need to be kind, we need to be loving. And that certainly is what God calls us to do. But it, it's still the, the fact that the world is going to hate what we believe, and they might not like what we stand for. And we can be as loving and kind as possible, and others will still think that we're being full of hate. And in today's society, you know, we become culture canceled for believing in biblical values. Um, some of us in this room, you know, you, your job might even be in jeopardy. Losing your job over what you believe. Or maybe you're going to be losing friends in this life. Or, or losing worldly acceptance over your belief and over Christ. And so, we want to, as much as we can, show the love of Christ towards those that we disagree with. And I came up with five ways to show love in a hostile environment uh, or even a conversation, whether it's about politics or social issues or biblical theology or sports or entertainment. Whatever the argument you find yourself in, I think these five things can apply. And I use the acronym, the acronym of GRACE. I Thought it was fitting for this church, right? So the, the first word is, is gracious, right? Listen, when we're in a, 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 an argument or we're disagreeing with someone, we want, to be, we want to be gracious. We want to use gracious speech and be gracious with our body language. We don't want to use harsh words or roll our eyes or huff and puff. Um, I need to learn that with my children. Sorry, Weston. Um, but two, we want to be respectful. We want to respect the dignity of humanity, regardless of their beliefs. We don't want to belittle or cut them down. No, no matter the godless ideology one might have, they are still created in the image of God and deserve to be treated with dignity. Yes, it's true. They have suppressed the truth in their life. There's no doubt. But there's still common grace there. There's still some common truth. Three, we want to aim to understand. It's always helpful when we can repeat the other person's position or show an interest in their viewpoint. That takes, that takes hearing. We need to be good listeners. Uh, I am not normally a great listener. I ask my wife. Normally when we're having conversations and she's saying something, I'm already in my mind. Any men do this? You're already in your mind you know, coming up, uh, coming up with your rebuttal, right? You know where this is going. You've already come up with a rebuttal, and it's airtight. You have a great argument. But you, you, you don't listen to half the things they're saying, but you're right there ready to, to give your rebuttal, right? No, we got to back up. we got to understand. we got to be able to say, am I hearing you say this? Or I can understand why this topic is important to you or why you might think that. We want to be good listeners. We want to aim to understand, putting ourselves in their shoes. Four, commonality. We want to look for common ground, areas that we can agree on. Like, yeah, it's true. We all want a better society. We all want a better world. You know, I can talk to very progressive folks, right? And we can both agree that this world is broken. We might not agree on why it's broken, but we can agree that things are broken and things need to change. So there can be some commonality there. Of course, we all want tolerance in life. We might disagree what tolerance is, right? We can certainly talk about that. And, and yes, we all want fairness in life. And we all want freedom. And even certain things, freedom of choice, certainly not life. But we want freedoms to make choices in this world, etc. So you look for like some common areas that you can possibly agree upon. And the number five is encouragement. We want to do all we can to leave the conversation in a positive and encouraging way. We want to thank them for communicating. And if the conversation was civil, thank them that you were able to have a civil conversation. And so you look for ways to show appreciation, even if they have differing beliefs. I have a brother that I dearly, dearly love. And we, we disagree on everything, except for Philadelphia sports. We love the Eagles, so we all agree on that. Okay? So we have one area that we have commonality on. Everything else, 
we disagree on pretty much. There are certain things, nuances here and there. And, and sometimes um, we uh, have constructive conversations. Um, but we can battle it out, like, you know, pretty severely at times. But I would say this. Every time my brother and I are done having a heated conversation, we still tell each other that we love them, love each other. And if we're together, we always hug. As believers, that's our aim, okay? We can have disagreements with people in this world, okay? And we will, because <laughs> we believe something different than what the world believes. But we've got to also make sure that we're working towards some sort of encouragement, and understanding, and unity at the end of the day, because we are created in the image of God. And so, yes, we want to carry truth. We want to carry love. And it brings us to our third point. We want to engage this world with courage. You see, folks, our world will try to undermine the Scriptures they will say that the Bible has errors, that the Bible is man-made, that the Bible is old-fashioned and antiquated. They will say that believing that the Bible is our authority in all matters is foolish and simple and ignorant. They will say that even our Bible is just a fairy tale. But listen, <laughs> we're different. Don't be shaken. Don't be moved. Yes, we will be in the minority in our world. The Bible tells us we are the remnant, okay? We will be in the minority. We have to understand that, and we have to become comfortable with that. And yes, we will face varying hostilities for what we believe. But listen, we must have courage. We must stand strong. We must be biblical for the glory of God, for the good of ourselves, for the good of the world we live in, for the next generation, and the, for the salvation of souls. Let me just say this. Us standing on biblical truth is loving towards your neighbor. They might not think it. They might not agree with you. But for us to stand for righteousness in this world is actually us Loving them because we know it's good for them. Right? When the wicked roll, what happens? The people groan. When righteousness rules in this world, the people rejoice. They might not agree with our ideology or what we believe. But I'll tell you one thing. We know. We know that it's loving when righteous things happen in this world. And so we should not lose the grip on the authority of biblical truth. Oh, it's so sad, isn't it, to see churches all around us giving up on truth. Left and right, Christians are giving up on it. Oh, please, church, I beg of you, for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of Christ, for the good of our world and the next generation, stand strong and don't be shaken by the ever-changing world around us. But it's true. We should be nice people. <laughs> Let's do our best to be nice. Let's not be a sledgehammer. Let's be careful on social media. Let's speak kindly. And let's represent Christ Jesus in an honorable way. But we need to be courageous people. We don't shy away from truth. We don't hide. No, we have to voice the truth of God. Who else will do it in this world? Christians, we can't be silent on these things. We just can't. Who else is going to be able to say, this is unrighteous, this is sin, and this is why we need the glorious Savior and his gospel to spread in this world? Who else is going to shine the light on the evils in the world and drag them out into the open? We need to be the mouthpiece in this world for righteousness. And we cannot buckle under the pressure because, as I mentioned before, God is on our side, or better yet, we are on God's side. And listen, folks, it's better to be persecuted for Christ than to turn away out of fear. And then finally, I would say this, and I know it's uncouth these days to talk about politics in this world. I'm not sure when that happened, but I, 
let me just say this, right? We allow the scriptures to speak to every area in our life. It's called discipleship, right? It's saying, hey, how are you to be trained to live in such a way that brings God glory? Why in the world have we somehow siphoned off politics to say, oh, we can't talk about that? No, listen, we want to be good citizens in this world. Yes, I know that our citizenship is in heaven, but until the day that Christ returns and we rule with him forever and ever, we still live in this world. This is still God's world. God still cares about righteousness, and so should we. And so we need to be concerned about the things in our world. We need to vote. We need to encourage legislators to make good decisions. We need to be activists for biblical values. We need to get involved in making a difference in our world. Not just for Christians now, but future generations. As I talked about the Equality Act, imagine what that would do to future generations and mission work in our world. It would hamper a lot of that. Earlier I talked about Mechanicsburg School District. Remember those kids, right? The Bible club that stood up against their administrators who said, no, you cannot hand out Bibles to interested students. What if these kids were silent? What if they said, well, oh well, we live in a post-Christian society, fallen world, the world's not going to understand Let's just put our Bibles back in our book, packs, book bags and go home. But they didn't. They were courageous. They stood up. They called our organization. We have a pro bono law team. And they called and they said, hey, this doesn't seem right that our school's doing this. And we were like, you're right. They can't be doing this. And so we went to the school and we said to them, hey, can you guys reconsider can you allow this little Bible club to just simply hand out their Bibles to other students who are interested? And they said, no, you cannot do it in the school facility because the separation of church and state. Yeah, but all the other Bible, I mean, all the other clubs can hand out their information, right? It's, it's their ideology. It's their religion, if you will. But, but this Christian Bible, little Bible club can't? Nope. They can't. You know, so we had citizens go and school board meetings and all the other stuff, and then eventually the school still would not relent, and so we sued them. <laughs> we took them to court. These brave students saying, we're going to do this. This is wrong. They can't be doing this to us. And guess what? We went before a judge, and the judge was livid at the school district. Said, you cannot do this. This is discrimination against this club. And this club has a free exercise to be able to do just like the other clubs are doing. But here's the thing. Can you imagine now at this school? The gospel can continue to be preached, to be given out, to be spoken of in this school in years to come, when these five students have moved on, college and family and grandkids, what they did, what they stood strong on and were courageous about is going to bring about much fruit in the years to come at that school district. Because they stood up against the tyranny of a hostile world. And God used it in a miraculous way. Listen to this sad account in the Gospel of John. It's the opposite of these high school students. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in Jesus Christ. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not what? confess it so that they would not be turned for the, so, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God we cannot be shaken like these authorities we cannot be silent we cannot be fearful they believe somewhat but out of fear, 
and the love of man and reputation, they succumbed to the world and turned away from Christ. We have to ask ourselves, what do we care about? Do we care more about our own reputations in this world more than we care about the glory of God? How will we respond when the world pressures us with their ideas? Will we stand strong or will we crack under the pressure of the vice grip of our world's ideology? I'll end with this. There were three young men who were demanded to give up on their biblical beliefs and faith or face death. They held strong in the midst of others, even other seemingly godly people who buckled under the threat of death and who gave up on their biblical convictions. These three young men were brought before the authorities and told to denounce their faith. And they said, no, we will not. In fact, you know the story well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love this next line. But if not, be it known to you, O king, and all those who are here who are bowing down, all of society, let it be known to you and everyone else that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, it's Christ who we stand for. And it is Christ who is with us as we face persecution. And when we even face possible death, He, Christ Jesus, is in the fire with us, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, Jesus Christ, He's the one that faced the penalty and the ultimate persecution of death so that we might be saved and that we might be justified, not now, but for eternity. And so we don't need to fear, for he is with us. We don't even fear death itself. Those 21 Egyptian Christians that ISIS beheaded, if you watch that video, you would hear at the end. Sometimes I wonder, how would I respond? Do you ever wonder this? How, how would I respond if someone was standing before me ready to behead me for my faith. In that video, there's 21 Christians. You can hear them crying out to God in that moment, worshiping Him. It's that moment when you're going through the fire, Christ is there. Your faith comes alive. You stand strong, not because of something within us, not because we stir up some strength on our own, but because Christ is with us. He will never fail us. He will never leave us. He's with us even through the fire and even through persecution. God does call us to speak the truth, and He calls us to walk in love. And he calls us to live courageously for him, no matter how the world treats us. Whether we win or lose, dear beloved, we do not give up. We do not give in. Why? Because the good news is we don't do it alone. We stand together as one, believers linking arms. Everyone in this room, we need one another. But ultimately, it is Christ who is also always with us. Let's pray. Lord, encourage our hearts this morning. As we look around this world, we see that this world is becoming 
increasingly dark, and we're not surprised. Father, you told us in this world that that would happen. People would turn against you. People would be given to their sensuality, their hedonism. They would pursue the things in this world and hate you. And just like they hate you, they hate us and what we believe. Father, I pray that you encourage our hearts this morning to not buckle under that fear, but to stand strong knowing that we are yours, that you have truly called us out of this dark world, transformed us by the work of the Holy Spirit, and we are yours now forevermore. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.